uh, you have your Bibles and or, or your Bible app and want to turn to Daniel chapter 6, we'll be uh, coming to that point here in just a moment. Um, but before we, we actually get there, um, I want you to actually think about good habits that you have in your life. Positive things that you do on a consistent basis, whether it's you know, daily, weekly, monthly, annually, something you do that's positive on a weekly, or I'm sorry, on a consistent basis. Now, an example might be you brush your teeth at least once a day. That's a positive habit that I hope all of us, or most of us, have uh, uh, in our life. So I am curious, who here has a good habit that you practice that you'd be willing to share with us? It could be daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. What's a good habit you have? Yes? I have a gratitude book where every night I write down 23 different things that I'm grateful for for the day. I love that. So that's a really good thing. All right. I love that. Someone else? What's a positive? Yes, Arlene. I make my husband coffee every morning. You make your husband coffee every morning. Isn't That's a great habit. That's a great thing. Danny. I love that. Good for you. Okay, good habits. Yeah. I bring my wife a cup of coffee. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a theme going on here. A breakfast theme, so. I like my wife's habit. Okay. <laughs> your your habit is to appreciate your wife's habit. So, yeah. Done. Okay, a good habit. Those of those who live in your home appreciate that. So, yeah, so there's a lot of things that we could do that are just part of life that are good habits that we can do on a regular basis. So here's the thing, that just as we have good habits that are in our life, I suspect that most of us also have not so good or even bad habits in our life. So I'm wondering who here would be willing to share a bad habit? I'm just kidding. I'm not asking you. Do not. Wouldn't that be terrible? Like, yeah, I do this. That would just be embarrassing. Inevitably, what happens is we start sharing about our spouse. Well, I'm not being, but my spouse does this. And uh, so here's the thing, good or bad, all right? Good or bad habits are those behaviors that we do on a consistent basis. That's what we're talking about. Now, currently, we're in a series that we've entitled Choices. And a few weeks ago, in week one, we talked about reasons why we often make bad choices. And there's some things that are just circumstantial, some things it's the way we're wired, but sometimes we make bad choices. And then two weeks ago, uh, Kate actually talked and uh, shared about uh, looking at choices through the lens of temptation. And, um, and then today, we're going to talk about choices through the lens of consistency, things that we do on a regular basis. Now, a number of studies have shown that successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally, that there's a something regular about what they do, and that there's a skill, maybe it's an expertise that is obtained that when we do something consistently. I heard one time that... Uh, this is uh, someone who dealing with soccer at very high levels and uh, saying that, that, that a kick, you know, some of we see a kick that's just, you know, really does, you know, does something really significant and that for, they have actually probably practiced that kick probably 10 to 13,000 times. 
So it's just this muscle memory. It's just a habit. They've done it over and over. It's why in sports, you see them shooting free throws over and over. It's just this habit of trying to develop a skill and expertise. So with that in mind, if we want to be effective in life, it's not what we do once in a while that shapes our lives. It's what we do consistently. Now, being consistent in life isn't easy. In fact, it's often very hard. I would imagine for Cassie that there's many nights where she like, yeah, I don't want to write out 23 things. I'm going to only do five. Or I'm not even. I'm just going to go to bed early. And because it's it's hard when we've we're doing things something on a regular basis. And in some circumstances, being consistent might actually seem to work against us. It could actually do uh, harm to us. And a great example of this can be seen in the Old Testament book of Daniel. Now, let me give you a some context to the passage we're going to read here. So for, in the Old Testament, for years and years, decades even, <clears throat> the Israelites had turned their back on God. And there would, there would, this is just kind of a, a, an ongoing story. They ignored God. Uh, they actually would often worship other gods, foreign gods, idols and things. They were, uh, their behavior was immoral, their behavior was unjust, there was, they were living life every other way except in a way that would honor God and give attention to him. And God would say to them through different prophets and other leaders and said, listen, you need to stop doing this, you need to turn back towards me and, and, and live your life in a way that honors me. Um, if you don't, I'm going to remove my protective covering from you. And so there was a lot of other nations around Israel at the time that were what we'd consider to be world powers. And God protected Israel from them. They wouldn't allow, he wouldn't allow those other countries to invade because of his blessing and covering. But he said, if you don't do this, there's going to come a time where I'm going to remove my protective covering. And ultimately, that in fact happens. The people continue living their willful ways without God, and they turn their backs on God. And God finally says, you want to live life on your own terms? Okay, I'll give you what you want. And remove that, that covering. And within a very short period of time, the Babylonians invaded Israel. Uh, for those of you who um, are, may not be familiar with the Babylonians, they, would, they occupied this area. They occupied what would be present-day Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, and now Israel. And ultimately, as they expanded power, actually had part of Egypt as well. So that whole Middle East, uh, was part of the Babylonian Empire. Um, <clears throat> the Babylonians had a very interesting practice that when they went in and captured a people group, they would carry back to their homeland, if you will, certain young leaders, <clears throat> the elite of the population they just conquered, the nobles, the, the royalty, these key leaders. Um, it did a, and they would provide three years of training for them, getting them educated in the way of doing things, the Babylonian way of things, kind of a culture identification, language, those type of things. And then after three years, they would put them in administrative roles within the government of Babylon. Um, <clears throat> for, this is an interesting practice for a few reasons. One is they were getting very capable individuals. These are people who were the elite of where they were. Um, and they got free labor out of it because of that. Um, but really what they were doing is they were keeping these potentially strong young leaders from raising up against them, rebelling against them back in their homeland. So we take out the people who were, had high capacity, take them out of it so that we can govern and rule these people the way we want. <clears throat> and so this is what had happened in Israel. 
Um, and what we discovered is that a few of these young Israelites found themselves rising up the ranks of the Babylonian government. Um, and they had significant roles um, of power and influence. Daniel, the book, the Old Testament book that's named after him, was one of these young individuals. The entire book of Daniel takes place not in Israel, it takes place in Babylon. And this is the story of Daniel in there. So our, our story picks up in Daniel chapter 6. I'm going to read a few different sections here, but I'll start with the first one. So it pleased Darius, who was the king, King Darius of the Babylonians, uh, Babylonians, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps, think governors, 120 governors, to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. So what we have here is that some of the homegrown Babylonians, these are people who were born Babylonian, they're growing up through the ranks, some people have influence and power, they didn't like the idea that a foreigner, someone from outside the area, a conquered Israelite, would have more influence and power than they. They were upset by this, they were jealous by this. Knowing that King Darius had a huge ego, huge, huge, big ego, they tricked him into making a decree. And so they wanted to get Daniel, but they knew they couldn't do this just because of Daniel's behavior. They had to do something else. And so they went to King Darius and said, listen, we think it's good for you to make a law that anyone who prays to any god or any human being during the next 30 days except to you, Darius. So in other words, they could, for the next 30 days, only, they could, people can only pray to you. No other gods, no other thing, only you. You're the central focus there. And if they do that, they're going to be thrown into a lion's den. Okay, again, Darius has this huge ego. Well, of course. That sounds like a really good rule, doesn't it? Um, it's pretty random, but he agreed to it. And they, they actually took it a step further. They had him put the decree in writing. In Babylonian law, if it was in writing, it could never be repealed. So if it was just, all right, go ahead and do it, and that was his word, that had to be carried out, but he could change his mind later. That was his prerogative. If it was in writing, it was it. It had to be carried out. It couldn't be changed. And they did this because they knew Daniel was one of his favorites. Daniel was the one that he was going to be put in the charge, and so they knew that when he found out that Daniel violated this, potentially violated this law, he would be willing to change his mind. So they wanted to make it um, foolproof, and, foolproof and that he could never re- repeal this law. So this is where the story takes an interesting twist. As we re- continue reading on in verse 10, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed. Talk about habits giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Now, we don't know the layout of the room. 
You know, we don't know what it looked like. But my impression of this is that it's not this, this small little window that's kind of off in the corner. Kind of the impression I got is almost this is a balcony. You know, a big thing that kind of opened up that he could look out and see off to the west, which is where Jerusalem was. What, regardless of that, what is clearly implied, Daniel's prayers were observable from the outside. That people from outside his house, people could see in, people could observe him praying wherever he was praying. And sure enough, knowing that Daniel prayed at the same time, three times a day, these evil men were able to catch Daniel in the act of praying to God and not Darius. And so they hauled him before the king. Um, As you can imagine, King Darius is very upset by this. I mean, he loved Daniel. Daniel was the one he trusted. Daniel was the one that had won his favor. And he realized the law was the law. There was nothing he could do. And he couldn't make an exception even for Daniel. And so Daniel was put into the lion's den. The Bible then tells us that the king was up all night. He didn't eat. He didn't drink. He didn't sleep because of his anxiety and stress over Daniel. And it says that um, at the first light of dawn, so the first opportunity he had, he runs down to the, where the lion dens was, and then he discovers that Daniel not only was alive, is that he'd never been touched. He never, it was a non-confrontational evening, uh, just sleeping with the purring kitties uh, that were in the den at the time. And then verse 23, <clears throat> the story concludes, uh, this part of the story concludes, was the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted his God. Let's pray. Father, I'm so, so thankful for this story of Daniel. And this just, one, it's just the imagery of of human behavior, of uh, the animosity that sometimes we experience from other people, of doing our best and doing things that are right, and yet sometimes feeling like we're we're, we are, we're penalized because of it, but yet this story doesn't end there. Lord, we're so grateful that you are continually at work. And Lord, I pray as we unwrap this a little bit more and we understand a little bit more that we would have even a, a deeper understanding of what you're doing in our lives here today as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so let me, let me a few thoughts about this story. <clears throat> um, let me, I'm going to read part of the section we just read, but I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. It just frames it a little differently. And it says, Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. I love just how it's worded there. Just give you a really clean sense of that. But that leads, us to my, leads me to my first thought is that Daniel's consistency positioned him for promotion. He got ahead. He was promoted in life because of his habits and his behaviors. He consistently did things. He did the right things the right way. He didn't arrive late to work and leave early. He didn't take extra long lunch breaks. He didn't cut corners and take the easy way out, and he didn't blame others for his mistakes. Now, if you're a coworker, you either love a guy like Daniel or you hate him. I mean, if you love him because he brings out the best in you. You hate him because it makes it obvious how far you fall short 
um, of, of, uh, that he makes you look bad because of his always doing the right thing. However, if you're a boss, you love having people like Daniel working for you because of the high level of trust. One less thing you have to worry about. You know the job will be done right and will be done well, and that excellence is part of what they do. <clears throat> Daniel's life is an example to all of us for how we should approach our work, that same attitude of giving, of working as if unto the Lord. My second thought about this passage <clears throat> is that Daniel didn't learn to trust God in the lines then, but in his consistent time of prayer. Have you ever noticed in movies or TV shows, um, the character is in a moment of crisis, and as a last resort, they, they pray. They call out to God. Um, now, it begins, and it looks differently. depends upon the show or the movie or whatever, but it's something similar to, I know I haven't talked to you in a while, but, <laughs> or you're probably surprised to be hearing from me, or I know I don't believe in you, but here we are. And they continue on with their prayer. So here's the thing. God hears those prayers. He does. He hears those prayers. He hears those prayers, but they miss the point. They miss the point altogether. God isn't just kind of our spiritual genie up there who's there in times of crisis to help us out in situations. Prayer is not just for times of crisis. God help me. I'm desperate. I have no other option, so I'm coming to you. Prayer is the means by which we experience God. We are changed. We are changed, not the, necessarily the circumstances around us. Clearly, we get the sense that Daniel was not freaking out as he was being thrown into the lion's den. You don't get the sense at all that he was you know, thrashing about and trying to resist. And you almost kind of get this, and they opened it up, and he walked in and said, all right, I'll see you in the morning. I mean, it was just kind of, that's kind of the impression you get, right? I mean, that's just how the story is written, and... You know, honestly, I don't know what was happening or what that looked like. I don't even know that Daniel was confident that he would be saved. Honestly, I just don't think it mattered to Daniel. To a very large degree, I think he just didn't care if he lived or died. Not because he was depressed and didn't care, but because he realized if he lived, great, but he, he had a relationship with God that realized this isn't the end. There's something after this, beyond this. There's something significant here. So either way, I'm good. Either way, I'm good. Paul talks about in the New Testament, if I live or if I die, it's all good. That doesn't happen, I'm going to say it this way, that only happens when we have a relationship with God that, that's beyond the surface, that's deeper than just this occasional prayer over meals or before we go to bed or something else. There's a communion, there's a relationship with God that he had. The confidence in God in the midst of crisis was developed through consistent prayer. That's where Daniel had those moments, three times a day where he engaged with God. And I'm convinced that as he engaged with God in prayer, God was also engaging him. Daniel was also listening and hearing and sensing God's presence as, as he would engage these times of prayer. <clears throat> now, one might be tempted to say that his habit of daily prayer nearly cost him his life. You know, hey, if you hadn't this habit, then you wouldn't have been resting in the first place. I would suggest that his daily habit of prayer created an opportunity for God to work in his life in even greater ways than before. Which leads me to my third observation about this passage. Daniel chose his habits, and his habits shaped his life. Um, 
Yesterday morning, we had our, our men's breakfast, um, which was really a, a lot of fun, a lot of great conversations, um, and just uh, some good food. So it was just a really good time. But uh, John actually passed out a card. I'm not sure, actually, I remember uh, getting it, but it, it, it fit. So I'm going to read actually what was on the card. Um, he said, watch your thoughts, they become your words. <clears throat> watch your words, they become your actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. I just thought the way that those things play into each other, the way they're connected and how they influence us is really significant. And that's what we see with Daniel. Daniel was consistent. He was consistent. So what might be some takeaways from, for us then today in this event in the life of Daniel? So how can we grow in consistency? I think uh, one of the re- ways we can do this first is to start with the why. The why. <clears throat> um, I have to actually confess that preparing for this sermon was actually very challenging. Um, because when we talk about consistency of life, the most important part that we talk about is spiritual consistency. Okay? And the challenge for me, as, as I was preparing and reading and thinking and just writing different things, is I was forced to ask myself, how important is my relationship to God? How important is my relationship with God? Now, I think all of us would say the idea of God being important to us, we all would agree with that. Yeah, we, we, we think this is important and we, would ignore, we do it appear, but how deeply do I believe that and live that out? How important is that relationship? So here's a test question. Here's what I had to kind of wrestle with. This is where I was at. So let me see how you, you might think about this yourself. How would you answer this question? Am I content with the amount of God I have in my life right now? Am I content with the amount of God I have in my life right now? Am I content? Do I have a hunger for God and the things of God? Do I want more of God than I have right now? See, we have to realize that God doesn't just like reveal himself all at once. You know, like, hey, here's who I am. It's, you get it all. We couldn't handle that. We, it just, we don't have the capacity to deal with that. God reveals himself to us in doses, in, in the ways that we can understand, the way that we get, and we can, we can actually grasp it. And, and, and he reveals more of himself to us as we pursue him. God doesn't force himself on us. So if we have a posture that's, you know what, I'm good. I don't want or need any more of God. He's not going to reveal himself more to us. Now, it's true that some of us may have more of God than others. Some of us have been walking with the Lord for decades. Some of us may be new to Christ with you know, only a few months. And so I'm not, it's not a question of quantity or volume. It's a question, it's, it's, here's, it's, it's recognizing the fact that none of us, none of us have all of God. There's always more of God available to us than, God, than what we have currently. And I think for some of us, all of us, and I'll put myself in that, bra- in that basket as well, that we become satisfied with the content of our level of God. You know, I've got this much of God. Whatever, whatever God you have in your life, we've become content with that and we're good with that and we think that's just fine and we don't need or want any more of God. We just think, I'm good. I'm happy. Now, the problem with accepting that thought 
is that John talks about this in the book of Revelation. And, G, and God is talking in a in prophetic way and saying, I need you to say this to the people. And in Revelation chapter 3, he says these words. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And later on, he says, I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Now, notice that God didn't say turn from your evil and wicked ways. He said turn from your indifference. So why choose to grow in our consistency with God? Because God want, wants people who are passionate in their pursuit of him. So I think a second takeaway for us today is this idea of fail forward. Um, failure happens. It does. Um, even though we talk about some of the good habits, I suspect those of you who do something for your spouse in the morning, there are some mornings that it just doesn't happen. You're out of town. They're out of, I mean, there's something that comes up that doesn't happen, and that's just part of it. Um, we need to make room for failure. We're talking about consistency with God. Um, because here's what happens. When we f if, if, if we're so focused on not failing, when we do fail, we quit. We feel like, oh, why bother? And we give up, and, and we quit. And, and that often that failure keeps us from being consistent because we've created an all-or-nothing mindset. So, you know, it, we just read it where Daniel says that he prayed three times a day just as he did before. So you can see that this is a habit or pattern. Do you think Daniel ever missed one of those times of prayer? Absolutely. I mean, let's not over-spiritualize the guy. He was human. Um, so I have no doubt that there are days when uh, King Darius asked him to work late and he didn't get home in time to have the evening prayer. Or um, maybe, you know, where he stayed up late the night before to watch the big game and he overslept morning prayer the next morning, okay? Life happens. Circumstances happen. Sometimes it's beyond our control and sometimes we're... We, we're human, and we have faults, and we, we don't always, always hold to what we'd want to do. Being consistent isn't the same thing as being perfect. When you fail or you miss an opportunity, you just start fresh the next day. And lastly, I think a big takeaway for us today is that we need to fall in love with the process. Daniel wasn't doing what he did just trying to get promoted. I mean, he wasn't doing this and, hey, I want to I be second in command or I want to be, you know, that wasn't, we don't get the sense that what he was trying to do. He was just living life the best he knew how. <clears throat> he was consistently doing what mattered to him and to God. And I think the mistake most of us is that we obsess about the end goal. You know, whether it's, you know, we want to lose weight, we want to pay off the credit card, we want to read the whole Bible through in a year. And the, again, the problem is that if we approach it that way, that we are, the, when you look at it that way, you don't succeed unless you attain your goal, which means if you fall short of it, you failed. And again, it just creates this vicious cycle. Rather than obsessing over the goal, maybe we should just fall in love with the process. We read the Bible because we actually enjoy the time. We read it because we find ourselves connecting with God for a few minutes. We read it because of this. We pray because it's, it's a few minutes where I get 
peace. Um, the phone's off. You know, we're just, we, we enjoy the moment as opposed to something that we can check off our list. The irony is that when we approach things that way, it usually hit the goal anyway. Um, it's, it's funny how those things work. Rather than focusing on the end result, give attention to living your best for God each day. So with this in mind, let me ask the question. <clears throat> what consistent habits do you have in your life that create opportunities for God to work in you and through you? What consistent habits do you have in your life that create opportunities for God to work in you and through you? Now, I want to be clear. I'm not asking you to do more. This is not a message about you need to be reading more, praying more, doing more. What I'm, what I'm wanting to challenge is your heart. If your heart's in the right place, and if you're doing things, and then I'm, I'm not saying that you, you've got to do more. Do more. I, I hate those sermons. <laughs> you, know? you feel like you're never doing enough. That's not my intent here. My intent here is to say, where's your heart? And what do we see? What, what behaviors are representative of that? And if there's, things, if there's gaps or things missing, then we have something to talk about. Then, then what can that look like? So we were actually, as part of the sermon team, and actually the, the other two, two different teams were working on, were having conversations about this series and actually about this particular sermon. And uh, we came up with this, we want to invite you to participate in the seven-day challenge that's designed with this in mind. So beginning tomorrow... And for the next seven days, you'll receive a text. Now, I'm going to give you the, I'm going to give you, um, the, 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 the way to text and the QR code and thing in just a minute here. All right? So I'm going to give you the how to engage in just a moment. So hold tight. But beginning tomorrow and for the next seven days, you'll receive a text with a link to a short video. <coughs> and then each day you'll be challenged with one right choice to focus on for that day. And the daily challenges will also be available on our social media platforms, so you'll find us on Facebook and other different things as well. So just to give you an example of what we're asking you to sign up for, here is, do you know what day this is? Seven. This is day seven. Okay, so we're giving you the day seven in advance. So if you watch, this is an example of, of one of the videos that you'll be getting for the next seven days. A 1965 Jackie DeShannon tune quickly made its way up the charts. The song simply but profoundly proclaimed, What the world needs now is love, sweet love. But that next line, it's the only thing that there's just to the love. Those words hold a greater truth today than when they were first formed in the minds of their creators, Burt Bacharach and Hal David. We live in a world that's dominated by hate-filled tensions that dishonor the very foundation of love. Whether it's political, racial, or social concerns, our differing beliefs and opinions can often shatter our ability to freely give love. Jesus calls us to an entirely different way. With great clarity, he leads us to love everyone with the same unconditional love, mercy, and grace that he loves us with. So take a moment, examine yourself, and ask, have I allowed different beliefs and opinions to keep me from loving someone the way Jesus loves them? If it's true, then let's accept today's challenge and say, today, 
I choose to love like Jesus. So again, each day is a different challenge and it's done. So Julie's day seven, there's different staff members um, for the different campuses that are actually doing the, the different segments. Um, so if you want to accept this challenge, um, you can do two ways. One is you've got your phone, you can do it right now. Actually scan the QR code that's right there. Will the phone actually get it? Yes. It did, cool, okay. Um, or if um, you're inclined, you actually can text the word choices to that phone number that's there on the screen. And then for the next seven days, you'll have a text message in the morning with a link to a video just like the one you saw. And let's see what will happen as a result of that. So, and again, each day is a different challenge, a different person that's setting it up. But it's just something unique that we'll be able to do. So, all right. We'll leave that up there just for the... Actually, Erica, can we leave that up for the rest of it or do we need to do anything else slide-wise? Okay, all right, so let's just leave it up there, even afterwards, and if you want to make sure you get it or that. But so our goal is this. Our goal is simply this, is to help you establish a daily habit of making good choices. And sometimes it'll be very specific spiritually. Sometimes it'll be more about practice, how you live life, different things. But here's what I'm convinced of. Um, when we choose to honor God with our life by making good choices... He never disappoints. Now, we don't always know where that's going to lead us, but I can promise you it's the life that um, each of us wants that will never be disappointed in that regard. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you uh, for the example of Daniel and for... Um, Lord, I, I can't imagine... Uh, what that would be like to, do, to spend your life trying to do things your way, to do things the right way, to live a godly life, and then to have some others come and to falsely accuse me and then face this idea of being thrown into a pit with uh, lions. Uh, Lord, I, I, in that moment, I would hope that my response would be like Daniel's, confident in you, regardless of the outcome and I'm not worried about the circumstances. May we come to that place. And Father, for all of us here today, may we all have this holy discontent in our life where we just want more of you. We may not even really understand what that means, but we just recognize, God, that there's more of you available and we want to know you more. We want more of you in our life. Father, I'm just convinced that the more that you're in our life, the more that the, our relationship with you is deepened, this is when we find true peace. This is when we find true contentment. This is when we find true happiness. Father, all the other things of life that we think are important all of a sudden begin to become um, more diminished because you become more prominent. So Father, help us. Give us uh, insight and wisdom. Give us self-awareness if that's what's needed. Help us, Father, to uh, be around other people in our lives who can help us live lives like this. So, Father, we, uh, we give ourselves to you. And we commit ourselves, God, to your purposes this day. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So, again, we're going to leave that up here. And so if you want to, if you haven't done it yet, come and do that. Um, Let's stand for the benediction. If you would uh, like prayer, someone to pray with you, Fred and Nettie are going to be up here in this corner. 
and we'd love the opportunity to pray with you. We also have a self-serve communion if you'd like to uh, um, take communion before you leave. Um, also, this is kind of a sad day um, in, in that uh, Jay and Cassie, this is their last day here before they move up to New York um, next week. And so um, we had a chance to uh, love on them and pray for them last uh, Sunday under the picnic. But um, just, just want to, if you haven't had an opportunity to do that, you can give Cassie a hug and Jay a fist bump, right? And that is so. Uh, <laughs> just, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I I love what they're doing. I hate that they're leaving, but uh, I get it. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you His favor and give you His peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.